My name is Johanna. Last name Schwab. I will be living in New York City for the next six months. As a lover of fashion and its invisible power, of words, voices and questioning, I had the idea to start a podcast. You will be getting a mix here. I'll put my soliloquies on record and do what I like the most. Talk to people whose work and thoughts I find inspiring. This podcast is called Refashion New York City. On that particular fashion photo, almost everything is fabric. The whole background is... The abstract figure is half beanbag, half creator and the robe is. The models are models. Oh, I love that picture. All that textile is stitched together and presented by female. A collaborative creative duo. Founded by Janelle Abbott and Camilla Kappa when they were studying at Parsons School of Design in New York City. Today, one of them lives in Seattle and the other in Los Angeles. They work together using snail mail, sending back and forth their pieces until they are ready. Upcycling is the center of their creations. I was lucky that they happened to be in New York City while I was in town. They've been invited to host a workshop in a Melissa store and called that thing Collective Refashioning. Sure that I went there. The interview you are about to hear is with Janelle. It is a Skype interview and because my voice there sounded like a robot, I cut out most of dead parts and refilled them with moderation. Janelle and me talk about female, but also about her very own work, which includes a beautiful project called Wardrobe Therapy. About seeing and living life as a Gesamtkunstwerk and why Lady Gaga ended up wearing a dress that have been sweatpants of her dad before. What you will hear first is a snippet from Janelle's reflection on the workshop I was part of, that refashioning thing. I decided that here the most inspiring part is how she describes the method they used for the collaborative session. Weaving is a great way to use up all kinds of materials, especially if it's like um, sort of the waste from a project. If you do have a practice of, of upcycling in your own creative work. Mm-hmm. It definitely has to do with Janelle's centered way of speaking that my mind was prepared for ideas. Here is one. Janelle, do you think that the process of weaving, because you bring something together there with your hands, also prepares you as a whole to be more open to engage with others? I mean, I think so. I think cre creative work in general, especially if it's about kind of using whatever you have or utilizing... Um, kind of wasted materials is a way to reconsider how you engage with other people as well, because um, it's more about remaining present and allowing your mind to kind of activate um, when stimulated by that sort of interaction, either between the material or between someone else. So like to compare that to more traditional modes of design, you take the time to conceptualize something on paper and then you seek the materials to actualize that image in 3D form, especially when it comes to fashion design. That's how traditionally a lot of people work. Um, and what I feel is the result of that is like a very prescribed idea of design and it can be one that is not really cognizant of the actual ways that things work in real life um mm -hmm. people 
through that mode of design, you can tend to try to really manipulate materials to behave in the way that you want. Whereas when you're working with found secondhand or upcycled materials, you have to be very open to the materials taking the lead and you have to be willing to follow them in the direction they naturally lead you. Um, There can be an act of manipulation, but I think it's actually about collaboration between your creative thought and the material and what you can come up in the midst of those those two things engaging. And I Mm -hmm. definitely think like socially, it's the same thing. It's about how you allow other people to show up just as they are and expect that you can arrive in the same manner. And then together you can negotiate your interaction and find something new in the midst of that negotiation. Now I am jumping a bit. Again, the mind. It is unpredictable. As an introduction to the refashioning workshop, Janelle and Camila were talking about their newest collection, Goddess of Yam Yam. It's based off of a road trip they did together and about being very honest with traveling experiences. They are most often good and bad. Yes, um, Camilla and I took a road trip from Seattle to California and then um, we had another trip down to California before they ended up moving there Um, because previously Camilla had lived in San Francisco and Oakland Mm-hmm. And on the on all of those trips, we gathered a lot of mementos along the way, whether it was um, maps of the areas we were in or little scraps of paper from the places that we visited and, and things like that. And so we amassed all of these materials to represent the true narrative of what we experienced. And they, they both were difficult trips just because traveling with someone can be difficult and... Um, we we were also trying to set up different kind of art events along the way. And so there's a certain level of like anxiety and planning and exhaustion that goes into that. So we were just having like real life experiences. Um, but in the end, we gathered all these materials to represent those trips. And what we created was this really fantastical narrative around kind of the mundane trip that we really had like nothing super outrageous happened and there weren't a lot of grand adventures because it was kind of about business so we created this really fantastic narrative around um what we actually experienced and it was in a way a metaphor of how um when you're out traveling and just living life like bad things happen inevitably and good things happen also but especially when traveling like when you're in an unfamiliar place and things aren't going well and you don't have like home where you feel really grounded and safe, even small things can feel exaggerated. And, you know, it's like, Oh, I got the wrong order at this restaurant and now I'm having an emotional breakdown. (laughs) (laughs) That happens when you're on vacation. But when you come back, people just show the pictures of like, here I am in this scenic location and here I am smiling with, you know, my meal or here I am dancing at this club. But, You don't always talk about like the terrible things that happen in between or even the mundane things that happen in between. So um, we were trying to translate that idea of needing to process 
or even it's like the bad experiences you had on a trip. Sometimes you come back and tell those stories and they become funny. And it's totally right. It's like, I can talk about this now because I'm over it. But at the time, like, I didn't think I was going to survive because it was so awful. But you tell other people and you all laugh about it. And and so that's that really is what the collection was about. It's like, how can you process bad experiences to make them useful for you, but also somewhat enjoyable for others. Um, and so the collection itself, like we had struggled to put that collection together for almost two years. And there was a lot in it that like had just been sitting, waiting for something to happen. Um, and some of it did represent like difficult times in our collaboration, but what we were able to do was layer onto it that, that perspective of humor or that perspective of joy and the things that maybe the garment at its core lacked, we kind of layered onto it um, better and brighter things. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of the way that the narrative translated into the garments. And since we created a, an actual narrative, we made, those collages and combining them together, we created a little graphic novel that represented the conceptual side of the collection. And so we've been doing some work with that as well, like using the garments almost as costumes within Uh this narrative. Um, So we did a a performance in Los Angeles and there's like a little video that goes with it. Um, So yeah, that was kind of that. And it's called the goddess of yum yum because the there's a donut chain in Los Angeles called Yum Yum Donuts <laughs> and um, somehow that picture got collaged on to this like Greek goddess sculpture body and then mm-hmm. the narrative of the goddess of Yum Yum um, came f- we we wrote the story in the same way that we make our clothing we passed it back and forth and just kind of added on and took away and and built this narrative together so somehow she emerged from within the narrative and became the culmination of the experience of the two main characters in the story. So far, we've learned that in Janelle's life, collaboration plays a role. Narration, collaging, and performance. And overall, the reflection of her works looking into all of its layers. So which art form was first Janelle? Yeah, so uh, myself personally, I have a background in dance. So I've always... Mm. Um, done performance and I did theater in high school as well and um, I've always loved that German concept and I'm gonna butcher butcher it Gesamtkunstwerk thank you for saying it correctly Um, (laughs) so I've always loved that idea of the total work of art and for female the way to make our fashion a total work of art is to integrate narrative, performance, visual, everything into one package. Um, and Camilla also, they they studied in the IDC program at Parsons, which is the Integrated Design Curriculum. It's not around anymore, but it used to be a program where you could kind of create your own major. And so mm-hmm. for them, the act of installation, they focused on fashion, But the act of using installation and performance within their fashion was really important. And for myself, when I showed up to school, I couldn't afford to take dance classes anymore. So I started to go into classrooms after hours and just put on music and dance. 
And I started to try to integrate dancing and drawing, like using the chalkboard and using dance movements to make markings. And then I would dance in response to the marks that were made on the board and try to like kind of re to replicate um, the visual markings on as the body moves. Um, and so I use things like that kind of personal research to inform the designs that I was doing in school. Mm-hmm. So um, for my professors, it was kind of frustrating, I think, and maybe confusing for them. I had at least one professor ask me why I was in fashion and not in the fine arts department. And at this mm-hmm. point, I, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Why didn't I just do fine arts? Because I think for myself and for Camilla as well, like, that ultimately is the world that we want to live in or that we make the most sense in. But we also have, a, and, and I, I can say this for myself personally, I have a really strong emotional and sentimental attachment to my clothing and using clothing as a canvas and a way of processing creative thought has always been really important for me. And so I think we both have worked to live in a world between art and fashion and not in a cheesy way, you know, where it's like wearable art, but really it's like we create clothing from the perspective of an artist and not necessarily a designer. And for me, at least doing that requires creative action. Cause I think it goes back to what I said earlier. It's like a designer has a vision in their mind they sketch out the the idea onto paper and then they find the tools and materials they need to actualize that 2D image in a three-dimensional form. Whereas my perspective on an artist is someone who's living and engaging in the world through their own unique and individual perspective and the materials that they use come to them through like specific intentional interactions and then the act of making is about having conversation between creative thought creative action and the materials and figuring out how those things come together to create the work um so for female like we don't draw pictures of what we're trying to make we don't dictate what the garment's going to become. There have been multiple times where I started something as a dress and it ended up being pants by the end of the the process. Um, so we just, we don't hold dear to the idea that A needs to become A in the end. It's like mm-hmm. something can start out as an A and by the end of the project, it's a W. Um, and and I, I think that's the, for me at least, if I were to define the nature of the artist, it's someone who's willing to let the materials and the process dictate the outcome. Let us now deeper dive into a particular project you are doing, Janelle. You called it wardrobe therapy. Yeah, that's a really, um, a, it's a really powerful project for me as a creative because it's the first time that I'm actually working directly with clients and trying to create something specific for someone specific. And so um, just to break down how the process works, I go 
I work one-on-one with clients. Um, They usually find me through Instagram or their friends or friends of friends. And I go to their house and um, have a conversation with them. I have a series of questions I ask just to better understand, like, how their relationship with clothing began. Like, what's their earliest memory? How, like, when did they start to dress themselves versus how their parents dress them as children? What informed them? Um, as far as how they chose to dress in their teen years, like, was it their friends? Were they influenced by music or the activities that they were doing, et cetera? And then we kind of talk about like what their current shopping habits are and kind of what they want to do into the future. Like how do they see themselves dressing in 10 or 20 years? And then we talk about like, how they like clothing to relate to their body. Cause some people really want clothing to be tight to the body. Cause that's how they feel the most comfortable or other mm. people want the, their clothing to be very far away from them. So they have a lot of room to move. So I try to figure out it's like it, in all components of the body, like in the arms, in the chest, the waist, the hips, the legs, how do you want clothing to relate to you? And, um, I usually have people pull out from their closets, like garments they really love that they feel like fit them super well and they love how they look in them. So I can see that image um, and reference it later when I'm actually making work for them. So that can take like an hour or more, um, just the conversation. And then from there, some I have helped people purge their wardrobe in the past if that's what they really needed. But most people when I show up already have a pile of clothing selected where They've gone through their wardrobe and and look to find things that they love, but they don't wear, um, Mm. but they can't get rid of. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. For some people, it really is sentimental. It could be an item where they wore it every day for five years at a very specific time in life. And that garment was like a sense of security for them, but their life has changed and it doesn't fit. But they they don't want to get rid of the memories that are inside that piece. Um, so that's one example of materials people source from their wardrobe, but other people will just have pieces that like they bought it a couple months ago and they haven't worn it because the fits weird or it's just not the right style, but they love the print or the color, the texture of the material. There's something about it that really resonates with them. So we go through each item that, that, um, they've selected and I, I try to take about five or six pieces from my clients' wardrobes to work with. But I want to know from them like what they love about that garment and what they hate about it so I can be careful to keep intact the things they love and then figure out ways to dismantle what they don't like and use those components in other ways. And then I also try to learn as much as I can about the piece, like where it came from, how long they've had it, what memories are in the piece, you know, is it meaningful, has their relationship to the garment changed over the years, And then at that point, finally, I have a conversation with the client about what are we going to do with these garments? The whole goal is to take pieces that they don't wear and dismantle them, reconfigure them into garments that they will wear. So usually by that point in time in the conversation, I have a pretty good idea of what they might want. You know, some people, a lot of people, it's a jumpsuit. Like people want a really cool jumpsuit. And so I'm like, yeah, let's make a jumpsuit. Or um, they want like a two piece matching set, or they really like jackets, et cetera, et cetera. So we go through the garments and kind of figure out what pieces to combine, how to combine them. And 
Um, I usually spearhead that part of the process, but some people show up with like very clear ideas and directives and I totally respect that and want the client to be happy in the end. Mm -hmm. But I usually do a quick sketch of like, this is kind of what I'm thinking. And people will say, you know, I really like this, but not this. And I'm like, okay, well, let's change that. Like, um, and, and we come to a place where they feel excited about what's going to become of their clothing. And so I take those pieces um, to my studio and I photograph them before I cut them up. Um, and then once I've cut them up, I start to reassemble them into new garments. And then when things are about 75% done, I have the client come to my studio for a fitting so we can make sure like everything's going in the right direction. And if any edits need to be made, I make them and then I finish the garments. And usually with the seams and things that were cut out or if there's any scraps left over, I sometimes weave like a purse or a little pouch or I've um, made like woven hats for people or I've made jewelry and ear warmers. Um, I try to make something out of the scrap so that this is a zero waste project. Um, once the garments are completed, I take them back to the client. We do a photo shoot somewhere where they feel like um, I, we try to find a space that really highlights their personality or the garments themselves. Um, and, and then I, for each, I, I post them on Instagram, both as a way to like document the project, but it's also advertisement. Cause I, that's like where I get my clients. I always do a little write up with each post about what I've learned about this person and how their history of clothing relates to the garment that we've made them. And mm -hmm. then I, I try to, um, explain what, the garments that we started with were and, and talk a little about the, the garment that we've made. And so that's the process. It's, um, pretty energy intensive and it, it can be very emotionally intensive as well. So mm -hmm. since I'm not a therapist, <laughs> I'm <laughs> still trying to figure out how to deal with that. Well, um, I'm doing fine, but it's, creative work that is more exhausting than what I normally do. Cause usually I'm just trying to make whatever it is that I make, you know, I don't put a lot of yeah. pressure on the outcome, but there yeah. is more pressure on this outcome because it is, it is, it is more designed than the work that I usually do, but it's because I, I want it to be something the client will actually wear. Like that's really important to me at the end of the mm -hmm. project that the client is happy because if they're not happy, then clearly we didn't do the project correctly. Um, so every time I want it to reflect their personal style. And that means, like, I had one client who likes to dress really sexy and, like, very revealing, um, mm -hmm. which is not my style. But I wanted to honor the client and make work that they would wear. And so that's the direction we took it in. And they were super happy with the outcome. And I was happy that they were happy. So um, every client is a challenge and they're all different. There's really no way to make this project more streamlined because it depends on the client. Some end up being really simple because it, that client has a simpler style, but people who are more adventurous or more funky, I have more freedom in that, but sometimes mm -hmm. it ends up becoming more work as a result. So <laughs> Yeah, I've worked with over 20 clients now, and I have wow. over 30 on a wait list. So, wow. it, yeah, 
it's, it's <laughs> I mean, it's like unbelievable the kind of response people have had to the project. Um, yeah. And and I'm excited to continue to do this work, but I just need to find a way that I, I can do this work and also um, find fair compensation because I'm kind of doing the project at a discount just because at this point in time, people haven't been taught what the cost of labor in making uh-huh. clothing truly yes. is. I lied to right for years <laughs> to think that oh yeah a t-shirt should cost five dollars they're easy to yeah. make right it's like no nothing that exists is easy to make and nothing that exists was um, you know nothing takes like ten minutes to make it everything takes a lot longer than you might expect expect and so everything should cost a lot more than it actually does but mm-hmm. fast fashion has just blinded people to that truth but I think like the consciousness is on the rise of the consumer. It's just the their budgets haven't matched up to that quite yet because um, people have to budget a lot for housing because housing is expensive and mm-hmm. food is increasingly becoming expensive, especially if you want to buy organic or local mm-hmm. or fair trade. Um, so people budget more for other things and thus they don't have as much of a budget for something like a handmade piece of clothing. Um, so I offer people payment plans, but I, I think in the future, I'm going to either have to raise my rate just so I feel like I'm, I'm making what I'm actually worth, or uh-huh. I'm going to have to keep the rate where it's at and kind of do a little less work for each client. But that's hard because when I show up, everybody's got like a pile of clothing that they want transformed and I really do want to do as much work for each client as I possibly can but (laughs) like time is not endless and neither is my energy so I'm still figuring out how to make it work successfully on that level yeah Um, but yeah talking already about pricing I heard that you both as female have an interesting approach there yeah we do so Camilla and I when we finished our first collection, we had a an art installation at the space they were living at the time, and we were stumped about how to price our garments. Um, so we ended up creating a formula to help us create mm-hmm. the prices, and um, it's pretty complicated, but all aspects of it um, help to document exactly what it took to create the work so we um, count how many times we pass things back and forth that is set at a a certain price we charge $50 for each pass and that $50 represents labor as well as shipping cost so if we pass something back and forth four times meaning Camilla's worked on it twice and I've worked on it twice then the base price for that garment is going to be $200 And then we go through each garment and we document what materials comprise the piece. And we sort those out between materials that are sentimental and materials that are historic. And so historic just means we have some kind of relationship to it. Like we know where we got it. We know um, why we have it, but it doesn't have a lot of emotional meaning to us. Whereas sentimental materials clearly do have deep emotional meaning. And maybe they were a material that was difficult for us to cut up and put into the piece but it it was like needed within the piece so we rate the sentimental materials between one and ten 
So something that rates as a one is the lowest of sentimental value, but something that rates as a 10 is the highest sentimental value. And then this is where it gets complicated. Well, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if, if like we, um, I got married five years ago and um, I used my mom's wedding dress to create mm-hmm. my wedding dress. Oh, wow. And left over from that were her original sleeves. And so there's a garment, a female garment that has my mom's wedding dress sleeves on it. And those sleeves were valued at 10 for me. So mm-hmm. then we, if it's a 10, it's 10 times 10% of T and T represents time, which is the times we've passed things back and forth. So again, if, if it was four times passed back and forth, that's $200. So 10% of 200 is 20. So then you do 10 times 20, 10 times 10% of T is $200. So for that piece, the sleeves were worth $200. Um, and then other things aren't quite so expensive, but if it's like something really important we want to put a lot of weight on it and also denote to the consumer that hey you're coming into the ownership of some really precious materials you need to treat these things with respect and really honor this garment um but then like historical materials you know five bucks for this fabric 50 cents for a rhinestone whatever and then going down from there um we charge for likability and originally that was just kind of like between zero and $50 extra, depending on how much we liked it. But in kind of a callous way, Camilla and I have decided that it actually represents what we would pay for the garment. (laughs) We're so close to it, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I'd pay 20 bucks for that, whatever. Or sometimes it's like, no, I'd pay $50 for that. That's a really good piece. Or it's like, I'd pay five for it. I hate that piece. Um, So so we charge for likability. And then we also add on a $25 fee if the garment happened to be used in a photo shoot or a performance or some kind of event or exhibit. And that helps us recoup um, the money that we lose when we uh, allow um, like stylists or other people to use our work. We don't charge a fee to them, but Mm -hmm. we keep it documented within the piece and, and try to recoup if we've like lost money on, shipping or whatever we try to recoup it through the sale of the piece ultimately um and then finally all of that gets tallied up and there is an additional fee if something was really frustrated so we can add an addition we can take 10 percent of the total and tack it on to the garment if it happened to be a really frustrating piece and um that's kind of funny because we're like punishing ourselves again If it's something we really don't like and we found it very frustrating to make, we make it 10% more expensive, which means it might be harder to sell. And so we're stuck looking at it longer. (laughs) Um, So not everything makes a lot of sense uh, at the end of the day within the pricing structure. But what it does do is helps us document the materials, which makes it more of a true work of art because those things are thoroughly um, acknowledged and represented and it gives the client a piece of provenance. So they have uh, a piece of paper to hold on to that, you know, acknowledges the connection between the garment and female. Um, and it really has helped us figure out how to price our pieces. 
I love how Janelle and Camilla as female create their pricing structure based off of feelings and attachments. But now, Janelle, I can't wait to hear that Lady Gaga story. I love it. Those it's so those pants are really funny because they originally, yeah, they were my dad's sweatpants. And then my mom wore them and she like painted the house in them. And so they had paint all over them. And then I ended up with them and I kind of tailored them to fit me. And then my husband started wearing them. And then one day I was like, we just have to retire these sweatpants. They're such a disaster. And so they ended up in the bin of female materials. And then we were working on this piece that was gray and black. And, and I had those black sweatpants and I'm like, well, maybe it's time. So I cut them and made them into the skirt of this piece that started as a top. So it, it became a dress. And um, yeah, it was in the shop one day and she happened to be staying at the hotel next to this space we were using at the time as a studio. There was like a kind of concept shop downstairs and then we had our studio upstairs and she drove by and like saw all of our work hanging outside and then sent her assistant in and apparently he was there for like an hour just taking pictures and sending it back to her and she ended up buying like three or four of our pieces maybe more I can't remember now but she bought that particular piece and it just was so funny for me to think that like These sweatpants that have lived such a long life within my family are now owned by Lady Gaga. And that makes no sense, but it's totally true. <laughs> now again, I want to go a level deeper or higher. Decide that yourself. Janelle, which experiences and beliefs are fundamental to your work? Yeah, um, I, I started working with reclaimed materials when I was in junior high, probably. Mm -hmm. I my, my parents owned a clothing manufacturing company when I was growing up and I was homeschooled. So I got to spend a lot of time at the warehouse. And that's because um, at the time in the, um, in the 1990s, there was actually a small clothing manufacturing uh, industry in the Seattle area. And so they had all of their clothing manufactured here in Seattle and sold it. Um, I think they were selling internationally. They ended up becoming a pretty big brand for a time. Um, and so I've always had like a really close connection to the inner workings of the fashion industry and also have seen kind of like the ugly side of it too, just because it's something my parents had to experience mm -hmm. and they weren't, they supported me going to study fashion. Um, but they also didn't, they didn't want me to end up in the industry because they knew there was just so much kind of ugliness in it. Um, but their, their company closed in the early two thousands. And so both my parents lost their jobs at the same time. And my mom had to go work. She ended up working at Nordstrom's as a technical designer. And my dad did a variety of jobs over the years. Um, and I ended up having to go to a public school, but, um, Money became really tight at that point in time. And so my mom and I, both for fun, but also for necessity, started going thrift shopping. And mm -hmm. it, it, it's hard, you know, to, especially when you're young, kind of like figure out how you want clothing to fit you. And it's hard to go to a thrift store and find clothing both that you like and that fits you. So yeah. putting up clothing and mashing it together in different ways and kind of exploring my creative thoughts 
through the act of um, what is today called upcycling clothing um, was in a way a necessity just so I could end up having things that I liked and fit. Um, but it also really did build the foundation of my creative work into the future because when I ended up, well, like in high school, I, I've always really enjoyed collaging. So I would just dump mm-hmm. the recycling bin onto the table and like use whatever I could find from the recycling bin to create my collages. And so I think it's it's always been that perspective of mine. It's like, what's being wasted and how can we reconsider it? So when mm-hmm. I got to college, um, you know, college is expensive. New York City is expensive. Mm-hmm. My parents didn't have a lot of money and I... I didn't want to be a financial burden on them any more than I already was. So when I needed materials for my schoolwork as much as possible, I would try to find like things on the street or um, find found materials from different kind of like recycling centers within the school and use those as the materials for my my work. And even my senior thesis, I I spent thirty dollars on my senior thesis. Wow. All the materials that I used, I literally found in the garbage. Like my friends and I, we would go out freeganing. Like I didn't spend, I spent $17 in six months on food when I lived in New York City because we would just go and like dive the streets like a couple nights a week and we would find like perfectly good food that was being thrown away. So I just increasingly started to live into this, this world of like what's being thrown away and how can we reuse it? Um, and you know, as I've gotten older, like dumpster diving, isn't a great way to sustain yourself forever. Um, It, it sometimes means that you kind of have to just eat what's available and it's not always food that you really like or want to be eating, or even is like the healthiest thing to be eating. So I don't do that anymore, but I'm still super committed to buying secondhand materials because I also, um, so at the same time in high school, when I was like cutting up my clothes, um, I, I grew up in a Christian church and we had a kind of like social justice Bible study and mm-hmm. we were talking a lot about human trafficking at the time. And so wow. I was doing a bunch of research about human trafficking and modern day slavery and how prevalent slavery and debt bondage is in the fa- fashion manufacturing facilities abroad. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize like, if I was buying newly manufactured goods, I was implicitly enslaving these laborers overseas. And I was becoming a support system for the people who are enslaving them. And so I decided like, I can't buy newly manufactured clothing because I I can't support that. And I think, I think it needs to end. And so I removed myself as an active participant in the fast fashion scene. And mm-hmm. I didn't, it, it was always a very personal thing for me. Um, I didn't feel like it was something I could really leverage to change the way that other people looked and acted with their mm-hmm. their purchases, you know, but um, today more and more I'm finding just by like being really committed to this and becoming more outspoken about it. Like people I'm connected to, it really resonates with them. And they're looking at their own choices and seeing how they can make different choices that are better for them, like, and their consciousness, but also better for these people who 
who have been exploited and abused just so that we can buy cheap clothing. Like that definitely needs to end. And by making different choices, it's going to impact the planet because fast fashion is the second biggest polluter worldwide. And it's only second to big oil. So it's been devastating the kinds of effects that fast fashion has had on the planet. And so, yeah, I just feel like really passionate and committed and empowered to like live the kind of life that I want to. That's very low impact. I don't drive a car. I only ride my bike. Um, I, I try to eat like mostly a plant-based diet. I, um, I don't buy newly manufactured clothing unless it's something really specific, like, gloves for cycling or like underwear. Um, but even then I try to be really specific about the sourcing and the company that I'm supporting. So it's really, it's like a life. It's like a, it's that Gustafsonsberg. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Cause it's I'm like, back. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Like, <laughs> like that's how I want my life to be. It's like a total work of art. Like everything is living in harmony like no, none of my choices are contradictory from one to the next. So for myself right now, like all the traveling I've been doing this year, as far as taking planes has really been weighing heavy on me because I know that is super damaging mm-hmm. environmentally. So it's like, how can I do this work and avoid travel um, or like just be more smart about it? Um, but yeah, it's, it's just like a, a whole system of life. Like, use what you have until you can't use it anymore. And then when you can't use it anymore in one form, find a new form to use it. And then whenever you need something new, like look for it secondhand, first off, like figure out how to live your life based on the wastefulness, wastefulness of others effectively. Um, and, and also like call to account wasteful behavior and like help build systems like wardrobe therapy, where it can reduce an individual's waste and repurpose things that still have meaning, but suddenly lack use. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, it's just been kind of a very, it's, it every, like increasingly life consuming goal. Amazing. Like that leads me to one more, like, okay. is, would you perceive, uh, would you, um, call yourself still a religious person or is that totally wrong too? No, I am. Like, I, I do believe in God and I, like, do pursue a relationship with him. But it's it's hard to talk about because especially the Christian faith has, like, got such a bad rap these days because a lot of people who want to become the representative of the faith, faith are... Um, ultimately hypocritical of the faith like people who voted for trump and call themselves christians it's like Mm -hmm. you're breaking very basic christian tenets by supporting someone who doesn't want to allow immigrants into our country because like if you look at the bible it says to like welcome the stranger to like befriend the foreigner to love one another and like love your neighbor as yourself and goes so far as to say to love your enemy which like that's a really tough thing to deal with because like Trump is my enemy ultimately, but like, how am I supposed to love this imbecile who's like totally destroying the like purity and truth of a life lived with God? Um, so yeah, like, because I believe in a creator, I think the act of creating is reflective of that. And like, ultimately, it's a, it's like a mode of worship for me. And that's something very personal to me because Camilla and I don't share the same faith. And uh-huh. so, 
that kind of side of the narrative doesn't really come up in female, but it does come up in my personal work because though I'm like conflicted at times about it, um, just because any sort of uh, like system of living, whether it be religious or faith or, you know, what everybody has like a system of living and something they believe in and try to adhere to, to like stay well and stay um, stable. Um, it can be really hard to live in that 24 seven. Um, but yeah, it, it is definitely important to me and just like being a good steward and trying to, trying to like honor the creation that we have and like restore it back to its like best and most functional form. I feel like that is an act of worship as well. Um, so I definitely do think it all ties together, but it can be really hard to articulate and come into a conversation with someone about because there is so much prejudice and there's, there's a lot of like, um, there's just like a lot of bad examples out there. And so mm-hmm. if, you, if you say you believe in something or are committed to a certain like religious or faith point of view, then you can end up getting lumped into a category that you don't actually belong because mm-hmm. people don't, you know, it's like anything. People don't treat um, a lot of those kind of, like if you're vegan, you know, like yeah. that's a very, a, a very easily defined system of living but I know some vegans who eat eggs so it's like you have to just treat each individual as an individual and and as far as faith is concerned I I don't think people have like a lot of time or respect for that because they're like oh Christians are bigots like you know they're Mm -hmm. homophobic they're racist they're xenophobic they're like all these terrible things they're hypocrites they're like self-righteous blah 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 and it's like yeah a lot of people are like that, but a lot of non-Christians are like that too. And uh, just like a lot of people live contradictory lives. And even I do, like, I know I'm not like 100%, but I don't think life is about perfection. It's about process. And so like anyone else, I'm just like in a process of trying to find like how to live righteously and and for me, I guess I don't want it to be self-defined because that becomes a, a very hollow form of righteousness. I'm, I want righteousness to be defined by something greater than myself. And so seeking out, like, how does God define righteousness is a part of my creative process. Oh, my. Thank you so much. Because I yeah. saw now it's such a hot topic at the moment. Also, like, you know, because you're so allowed as a creative to say you're spiritual But, you know, when it comes to religion, and I know for sure that's a different thing also, like, uh, in Europe, it's a different thing than in America, you know. Um, Oh, yeah. uh, But also, like, mentioning words like contradictory and that, like, that's maybe something we should emphasize more, you know, because, Mm -hmm. you know, this life is just uh, contradictory. And also, like, uh, religious beliefs help to deal with that, too. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. What led me to ask about religious belief is also that I've seen your shoes, which um, um, your thesis shoes, like build our foundation on a rock. And I was wondering if it's on, if it also means church, you know? Yeah, yeah. That my my senior thesis collection was inspired by um, biblical passages that speak metaphorically of the body, like the body of the temple. And so the whole collection was kind of. Um, thinking about the the body as like a 
well, at this point, I don't even know how. There was so much going on. Like I was researching Andrea Man- Mandietta as well, who was an earthworks artist. And she was doing a lot of like representing the female body um, form in sort of um, earthworks arts applications, like creating the body out of mud or like covering the body in mud. And um, so... I think it goes back to that total work of art again. Um, yeah. Just like thinking about the body as a temple and like the body as a component within the garment mm-hmm. um, and like using the garment then to highlight. Hi- yeah. It's been so long since I did that project, but yes, it did have a lot of like spiritual undertones and it, it came from the research I was doing about, uh, metaphorical references of the body in the Bible. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> because they are beautiful too. I love the shoes. Thank you. Yeah, um, I I would love to make some more shoes, but I haven't had the inspiration. But that, that series of shoes is really fun to do. Yeah, it looks like. <laughs> okay, so have a nice day. Thank you. Thank you. You as well. Turn.